I've got a quick question for you before we get started today. Were there any outstanding presentations at the last Master Brewers District meeting you attended? I bet there were. Well, we'd like to share those stories with listeners, but we need your help. Unless they attended that same district meeting, Master Brewers members, including me, will never know about these outstanding presentations unless they get uploaded to the Master Brewers District Presentations Archive. So next time you sit in on a really great presentation, ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. You can find me at community.mbaa.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. But then when I got to a 40 IBU dose rate, I actually saw the turbidity decrease. So I was just trying to find more of a sweet spot of where dosing this beta acid bittering would form a stable haze and not actually cause more of the proteins and polyphenols to precipitate out of solution. This week on the show, more presenters join us from Calgary. First, we'll hear about improving haze stability with beta acid hop products. Then, a past president of Master Brewers answers questions about using hop oil products in the brewery. Hello, my name is Margot Husman, and I am the research and development scientist with Totally Natural Solutions. Uh, we're a hop extract company based in Kent. Hello, my name is Horace Cunningham, Totally Natural Solutions, brewmaster and advisor. First, you set out to study the effects of different hydrophobic bittering products on haze stability. What were you expecting or hoping to observe? So with hydrophobic bittering products, we know that they stabilize the foam network by uh, surface interactions with the uh, proteins in beer. So I was trying to just think, okay, so if these hydrophobic bittering er, um, products are stabilizing foam, might it also have an effect on stabilizing the turbidity network? And also when you're adding bittering products into beer, there are some cases where you will see an increase in turbidity, so it just kind of sparked the question and then drove me further to do more research. Okay. Tell us uh, how you set up this experiment. 
So to set up this experiment, uh, I wanted to make it practically based and also um, have some sets in academia as well. So we set up a uh, trial fermentation, did this three times as well in triplicate, uh, where we brewed a New England IPA um, just using a standard recipe where we did a Whirlpool edition um, with Chinook and then we split this into um, different batches where we added aroma product to this to see if the aroma product would help stabilize the aroma in New England IPAs and then we added um, in each of these split fermentations um, so one was a control one had Rho, one had ISO, one had Tetra, and one had a developmental beta bittering product that we're working on. Okay, cool. Um, and you, me uh, you measured turbidity a few different ways here, right? Yes. In measuring turbidity, there's a few different ways that you can go about it. You can measure uh, using ASBC units, you can use EBC units, or you can use... Um, FTU or FNU, which is the Formazin Nephilometric Turbidity Unit. Say that five times fast. <laughs> um, but so when you're measuring uh, turbidity, you can also measure at different light angles as well, to, um, or angles to the light axis. So you can measure at a 25 degree light angle, which you'll be measuring larger particles. So you'll be measuring things like yeast cells and uh, PVPP, inorganic materials. Um, but if you're measuring at a 90-degree angle to the light axis, you'll be measuring smaller particles. So you'll be measuring carbohydrates and proteins. So it's helpful to measure at different light angles because you'll be able to see and measure uh, what types of particles you have in your beer, essentially. Okay. Talk about how you evaluated those trials you were talking about earlier. So we did a sensory evaluation, and then we did a two different methods of using turbidity measurement. So to try and keep this practically based for the brewers who don't have access to an Anton Parks, I know not everybody does, wanted to use ASBC Beer 26, uh, which is just the visual assessment for formas and turbidity units. Um, but then I also just did a check with Anton Par and I measured in EBC units. And then for sensory, it was just a simple preference ranking. Okay, was this a trained sensory panel um, and, and also... Um, why did they just rank preference? Was there any major reason you decided to do it that way? So it was a trained sensor panel, and this was mainly just to try and get a beginning scope and an idea of how well this would work to then inform further trials, where I decided to start large instead of going very targeted, because sometimes when you go too small and too targeted, you'll miss um, parts of information that you could otherwise capture. Okay. Um, so what happened? Unfortunately, with uh, the time that the, when the abstract was due, uh, <laughs> I only had about uh, 30 days to get or to write up my abstract about. So I only have the information for the first 30 days, but it is a live R&D project, so we're still working on things. Okay. Um, so in the first day that we measured, there was little to no difference that could be detected between um, the beta acid bittering product, the um, Tetra, and the Rho. And the isohop uh, product actually scored the lowest in overall enjoyment for sensory panelists. Okay. And then in the day 30 stage, the beta acid bittering uh, development product actually ranked the highest in overall enjoyment. And the Tetra and Rho uh, were more or less the same. They scored mid-range and the isohop 
scored the lowest again. All right. Um, you did. You then did a, another experiment to look at turbidity stability versus um, uh, beta acid bittering in Pilsner. Talk about that one. Yeah. So that one was just another side spin-off study where I was just interested on the dosing rates of um, particularly the beta acid bittering product because it scored uh, high in sensory and it was showing to form a fairly stable haze in the results that we had collected to date. So I took a Pilsner and I kept three as a control dose, three with a dosage of 10 IBU, three with 20, three with 30, three with 40, so on and so forth. Uh, and I had these sit for 60 days. And initially, I, I took a turbidity reading initially at time zero and took a turbidity reading at 30 and 60 days. But I decided to present on the 60 days because it was most up to date. Uh, and what was really interesting was that I saw turbidity actually increase in um, these samples, in some of the samples. But then when I got to a 40 IBU dose rate, I actually saw the turbidity decrease. So I was just trying to find more of a sweet spot of where dosing this beta acid bittering would form a stable haze and not actually cause more of the proteins and polyphenols to precipitate out of solution. Okay. So what exactly are you recommending to brewers who want very stable haze? So for brewers who are looking to form a stable haze, the whole idea behind this experiment, behind this project was more to say... So you're adding a high amount of aroma hops, and aroma hops have a high amount of beta acid. And I've done a lot of reading into this where uh, the oxidation products of beta acids can sometimes help produce a stable haze, and when added at higher concentrations, uh, they can, as classic brewing literature had cited, they might perform a hindrance where it might, might make the beer hazy, because previously we'd, we weren't really looking for these hazes. So... I was more wondering, well, can we actually kind of turn this on its head and can we make a more stable haze? Uh, so in taking uh, your aroma hops and splitting them more in two, so taking the hop oil, which has all of your aroma in it, and the beta acids and, um, and or alpha acids, because they also, or iso-alpha acids, because they also help contribute to a stable foam and haze network. Uh, the thinking behind this was just to see if splitting them apart would actually help produce a stable haze. Okay. So what's next? So what's next is actually further development trials. We are doing a large brewing trial. Uh, shouldn't say large. Large on my scale because I did a 20 liter scale. So I've gone up to a 2 hectoliter scale, which is much bigger for what I had, <laughs> uh, with a London-based brewery. And then it's continuing to do more pilot-scale brewery trials to collect enough data for validation studies. So continuing just to do validation work. Coming up. A lot of brewers who have to travel a long distance at great expense to select hops every year. It's not a bad exercise, it's fun, <laughs> but the objective of selecting the right field, the right time, from the right age, is not necessarily for everyone's uh, option. 
I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by... Samba Hops is first in the new exclusive BSG Hop Solutions portfolio. Named for the overwhelming tropical dance explosion of its aroma, Samba's profile is dominated by juicy tropical fruit like pineapple and mango, plus tangerine and stone fruit. Samba is ideal for late and dry hopping juicy hazy IPAs or beers that need a big tropical fruit profile. Learn more about BSG Hop Solutions online and look for more BSG Hop Solutions releases coming soon. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District New England meets in Merrimack January 24th and 5th. The Ontario Technical Conference is January 29th through the 31st in Kingston. A couple of Master Brewers webinars to put on your radar. Host Systems Proper Use and Safety January 31st and Brewing with Fike February 7th. District Philly meets February 7th in King of Prussia. District St. Paul Minneapolis meets at Surly Brewing February 20th. District St. Louis meets February 20th. District Northern California holds its technical conference February 27th and 28th in Sonoma County. One of our newest districts, District Great Plains, meets February 28th and 29th in Kansas City. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. Horace, I did some trials with hop oils seven or eight years ago. We were adding them to a a DE dose tank, uh, trying to increase finished beer yields by replacing some of the dry hop pellets with with, uh, dry hop pellet charge with oils. In that case, we had a difficult time flavor matching, and I remember it was a challenge to emulsify the oil. We had to get a special license to buy grain alcohol, and it was the whole thing was just kind of a messy step. What's changed with hop oil products since then? Well, some of the techniques we use now for all hop oils avoids that, having to cut with alcohols and the difficulties in administering it to the, to the, to the product. Uh, the reality is that the range of oils that we can produce can be tailored for the specific brew and also for his technique. As Margot just shared, we even are affecting physical stability and physical appearance and flavors in beer, not necessarily just sharing aromas and flavors. So that is one of the strengths with this kind of technology as it developed over the years. It's gotten far more complex and easier to use. At multiple stages, so you not just get uh, formulation changes and aroma changes, but you also have usage advantages, which 
make you a more efficient brewery and increase your productivity and have consistency, which was different from the days you used it. Yeah. Talk about the challenge of dosing and adequately, adequately mixing hop oil in a small brewery. What are the best ways to accomplish this? The, be- the easiest way and the best way is right at the end. Um, that way your yield is maximized because hop oils have 100 uti- 100% utilization. Um, there's no loss as regards solid material or vegetative material. You can be... You can tailor your product more easily on small batches like we are doing right at our lab um, to mirror what you would do in a large or a small production batch. Have you seen much success with adding hop oil products during active fermentation? I suppose that might provide for better mixing and biotransformation, but you would also see some losses as you alluded to. Very true. Um, we do have uh, product lines that can do latent and dry hop flavors, uh, usually post-kettle hop, hop aromas, and they are susceptible to biotransformation. Uh, remember that not all yeasts have the same range of biotransformation, so that's the good thing about the techniques that uh, are now available to us. We can coordinate and work alongside a brewery actively and quickly get them a formulation or multiple hop designs that would parallel what they currently are doing as well as develop new products that could be the next blockbuster for them. When you look at a GC analysis of hop oil, you see the big peaks like myrcene and humulene that are often reported on a COA, but talk, talk about what's in those other tiny peaks and what you're doing with those components. Right. Uh, those tiny peaks usually have those flavors that we never used to imagine in a beer before. We used to have the pineapple and the mango and the vanillin and all that. We have been able to play with those and work together to enhance them. That in itself is one of the situations that occur in biotransformation or hop creep. So we can actually step out and remove a step in the process and produce an oil that we can use right at the end that will mirror what you were achieving previously. Many of us use yeast, as we heard in some presentations, that do not do biotransformation or hot creep. But with this kind of technology, you may not need to change your yeast line yet to be able to make a bear that appears. Okay. As you know, a huge percentage of breweries today are very small. Uh, we've seen hop pellet packages get smaller and smaller. How are hop oil products being packaged to work for the smallest of craft brewers? We can package virtually any size that the craft brewer may need. We have small quantities like 5 mil quantities, 15 mil quantities, larger liter sizes. And that's one of the advantages that shipping is not as challenged as it was before. It means that you can ship using uh, courier, get it just in time, rather than having an inventory in your brewery of hops that may last you three, five years if you're a small brewer. And what's important is that every year you have a consistent product with that kind of basis because we're backing you up with very good research and technology measuring all the different levels that are done uh, to 
match those flavors and aromas that you had desired initially. Horace, I, th- I think there are more craft brewers participating in hop selection than in decades past. Talk about the downsides of the current hop selection process and what hop oil products can offer that's different from that. Yes, uh, hop oils, really, we are at the start of the selection process. So once we get the hop, we have an idea of what it's going to yield as regards the, the amount of hop oil and what the profiles are. This is what has been done traditionally for a lot of brewers who have to travel a long distance at great expense to select hops every year. It's not a bad exercise, it's fun, <laughs> but the objective of selecting the right field, the right time, from the right age, is not necessarily for everyone's uh, option. There, You may get the end of the, the hop and you may get certain aromas that you didn't want, and you have to compromise. I want to ask you about um, some practical advice for brewers working with hop oils. Um, let's say they purchase a larger package, you know, a one-liter bottle or something of hop oil. Uh, can that be resealed and stored for multiple uses, or do you advise against doing that? Do you advise using the entire package at once? Talk about that. Of course, we'd love you to use it all in one. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is that that's not the option for everyone. We can package in the right volume that we can even partially fill a package and send it to you so that it matches your batch size. So all of those things play out very well. The the hop oil is 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 a product that does not support microbiological growth. So using it carefully, obviously good practices must be played um, and using it rapidly after opening it is the best option. But it can last an extended period of time, even when it's, when it's, when it's used up in partial uh, fashion. You may need to increase the amount you may use. We don't know. It depends upon your specific brewery, what you're trying to do. That was Margot Huseman and Horace Cunningham live from the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. All Master Brewers members can now get their very own free copy of these presentations, along with all the other outstanding posters and presentations from Calgary. Download your copy of the conference proceedings at mbaa.com or check the show notes for a link. Master Brewers members don't just get free access to the annual conference proceedings, we also get access to the hundreds of presentations that take place at all of the individual district meetings. But there's only one way to be sure that invaluable searchable archive reaches its full potential. I know you want to see that happen as much as I do, so let's talk about how you can help. Ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. All the links you need are in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, and BSG. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Okay.